Hello, my friends. How are you doing? Welcome to the podcast of the nerd. I'm Ian. Uh, and I want you to know how much I've started appreciating our time together. I'm not blowing smoke. Really, I appreciate it. So thank you. Uh, first of all, I'm late with Dear Boy. Nothing to say about that. And I have considered delaying this podcast uh, until it was done. But as we've talked about, I think that whole compulsion to kind of uh, um, block other things out until... Well, I, I, this isn't done, so I can't do this, that, and the other thing. I think that's kind of a mistake. My friend and I, uh, Ryan and I defined those as black hole tasks. I need to move the camera to a more... Uh, more easier, I was about to say. Department of Redundancy Department. Easier place so that I can uh, make eye contact with you a little bit better. This this setup will change uh, as we go. But anyway, uh, my friend Ryan and I uh, refer to those, I think I've told you, as black hole tasks and the, how common they are. I didn't get this thing done, so I can't do anything else. And... Uh, actually, I feel like one of the things that, uh, has been getting unpacked in this podcast, I overuse that term and get ready to hear that term a lot today, is, um, uh, that that doesn't work, you know, that there, that, that, that a, per, a, a life has many pillars and, uh, just cause you're not holding one up is not really a reason to drop the other ones. Whether uh, that's why it's actually important to play a video game and read a book and go for a run and all of that, even if your review of Restless is a month late and people are uh, anticipating it. Um, this whole self-employment thing is very weird. Uh, not that I've ever been good at balance, particularly. <laughs> Also, I don't think uh, delaying the podcast would actually have me get through, dear boy, any faster. So, there it is. Um, today, I want to tell you about this one time I joined a cult. It's not as dramatic as you may think. Why do I undersell like that? It's so dramatic. You uh, Wait, un that that's probably a mistake, too. Anyway, uh, there's some weekly announcements to talk about, including a live stream coming up. A uh, couple of live streams coming up, actually. And then we're going to wrap up with a continuation of this week's fan fiction reading. Um, and I forgot to put... Oh, Here is Gone by Terry Boda. There it is. See? Now that I've been dry for almost two months, I'm starting to remember stuff. It's very weird. And... Probably not actually that funny. <laughs> uh, no report on goals this week. I'm too blocked with your boy. Um, we'll get there. So, um, I was watching... Uh, recently, I've been watching Six Feet Under, and um, I forgot the name of the character, and it's going to bug me if I don't look her up right now, but I'm in season two, Six feet under, he googles while vamping for time. The only way I know how to vamp for time is to talk about vamping for time. It's very meta. In season two, the mother character, Claire... No, not Claire. Claire's probably my favorite character on the show. Um, 
Ruth, played by Frances Con- Conroy. Ruth uh, gets invited to a weekend wrap-up class from a guy uh, by a guy she works with. It's this thing about living your best life and all of that, and uh, it's really funny. Um, Ruth says to him in the episode, and I love the actor who plays her friend, although I'm just so terrible with names. Ruth says to him in the episode, isn't that that thing where they don't let you go to the bathroom? And it's funny. Anytime you hear that, the thing that people are actually talking about is this thing in the 70s called the EST training, uh, started by a guy named Werner Earhart. Um, and the other time I've heard it was in The Ice Storm, which is an Ang Lee movie, and uh, Sigourney Weaver is at a uh, wife-swapping event, and some guy is talking to her about this thing that changed his life, and and she says, isn't that, th- isn't that thing uh, where they don't let you go to the bathroom? Which is a relatively uh, notorious... Which is, which is the thing that that is most known, known about. So... Um, Werner Earhart is this guy who started this weekend get-together kind of thing that was predicated on... Well, uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, So backing up a little bit. uh, I'm getting turned around because I didn't actually uh, write the outline proper for this. Werner Earhart did this thing called the S-Training. It became a little bit uh, infamous for some of the rules, which did include uh, not being allowed to go to the bathroom... And at some point, he sold the tri- um, the the copyright for everything he had written and the course to a company called uh, the Landmark Education Corporation. But anytime you hear uh, in a movie or a piece of media someone talking about, um, isn't that uh, that thing where they don't let you go to the bathroom? Generally, uh, in that context, they're talking about Werner Earhart and uh, the EST training. I haven't thought about that in a long time. Uh, so, uh, there was a certain time in my life. I was 16 years old. Um, I was estranged from my dad that summer. We had been living in Chicago, and I told him I wanted to move back to Colorado and live with my mom. And he said, well, have a nice life. And we didn't speak for several years. Um, the summer I moved back to Colorado, I was sexually assaulted. I was deeply lonely and had no friends. Now, (laughs) in my adult life, (laughs) I've managed to find new bottoms, but that was a pretty good one. I'll, I'll, I'll just say, um, a lot of baggage is for, for uh, a kid that age. There's more, there's less, but that was mine. And uh, one weekend, my mom said uh, she was going to take a class and wouldn't be around. And at the end of that weekend, she brought me with her to the wrap-up class. And uh, she had done this thing called the Landmark Forum and uh, asked me if I wanted to do it. I shrugged and said, I guess, uh, all the resolve of your average 16-year-old boy, I suppose. And she signed me up. So the forum. Uh, the forum at the time, I, I have no idea if Landmark's still around or what the uh, uh, what the process is now. This must have been 96 or 97. Uh, it was three days long. 
and every one of the days was three days long in an evening. Uh, every one of the days was, were um, 12 hours long. I believe it was seven to seven. And uh, you start very early. You sit in a room with the forum leader in the front of the, of the room uh, with a bunch of chairs assembled around, probably about 100 people, maybe a little more than that, sitting in the room. And the forum leader has a microphone, and there are microphones around the room. And the forum leader stands at the front of the room and sort of gently unfolds the material. Uh, occasionally asking for volunteers from the crowd to stand at mics around the room and occasionally bringing someone on stage. So in a nutshell, uh, imagine if someone took the basic principles of psychology and philosophy and ran them through a corporate speakatizer using, uh, you know, words like synergistic and action items. Now you might bristle at that, but there's a reason why businesses do that standardized language. And the main reason is probably efficiency. Um, if you can get everyone using the same language when it comes to how the business functions, or in the case of the forum, how life and human beings in it function, then you can kind of rapidly go about, get down to the business of growing the business for department of redundancy department. Anyway, um, the forum's main business was in creating, this is uh, now, I, I, I am years out from this experience. So just, uh, for the sake of full disclosure, I, I I don't remember them saying this specifically, but this is my experience of uh, the forum through the lens of time and age and distance and history. Um, the forum's main business was in creating moments of clarity for its uh, participants, emotional breakthroughs. So we all have sticking points. I certainly did as a 17-year-old, but the sticking points all around might be why won't why won't my dad talk to me? Why doesn't uh why don't my husband and I spend enough time together? Why were my parents such dicks? You know, stuff like that. And as the weekend went on and people became more comfortable in these 12-hour days, they would get up to the microphones and share these painful, intimate stories personal stories about their lives um, that they were stuck on and trying to apply this philo-psychological corporatized thing to this tool set uh, that Landmark was using in these, these um, God, I can't think of the right word. It's not uh, sessions. It's a conference. It was almost like a, 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 a self-help conference. Very strange. Um, very often over the course of the weekend, people would experience what I've called the prism of their perspective on these moments that they were juggling with turning for the first time and not as some kind of intellectual exercise. Um, but you know, uh, the, the intellectual, well, we're all human and I guess my parents did the best they could. But seriously, screw those guys, I deserved better. Rather, it was like an actual shift in letting go of their grip on what they believed is the truth of those situations and experiencing a different possibility as true. Maybe my parents did the best they could. Maybe they were broken, painful, uh, uh, pained, fearful, messed up human beings who just 
didn't know how to love me the way I needed or wanted them to. Maybe things didn't go the way I would have hoped, but maybe I can still forgive them. Um, you know, and there was a lot of crying and, and people just sort of like these knots that, that people had tied, uh, untying, you know, that's a breakthrough. Uh, it is, it, it is not something that occurs necessarily on an intellectual level. It's something that, that you feel, uh, come over you. Prism shifts like that are addictive, uh, especially when they occur with rigid baggage that people have been holding on to for that long. And gradually, over the course of the weekend, this started happening all around the room. This fishbowl and all of the people in it became this hyper-intimate, utopic experience. Social boundaries were gone. People shared every intimate detail of their personal lives. I, 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 can ima I just saw in my head some of you... Um, kind of grimacing at the thought of this, but it, it's something that, kind of, uh, uh, and I don't have a problem with that, but, but the fact that it, it's, it, what that means to me is that it's difficult to impart what a um, idyllic experience uh, it kind of was, but it was also a bubble. I mean, that's the thing is it was a fishbowl. It was a it was a it was a a bubble that they create for the weekend and within the bubble there are different rules to interaction you don't have to hunt gather or any of those things it's 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 all specific and focused to this kind of experience and this that sort of intimacy just abounds uh throughout um you feel connected and a sense of community in a kind of dreamlike way uh, and it gives you a sense of all these possibilities, you know, the, the, the business of life, the, I've, I've, I've talked about the, in the, uh, video for no place like home, the ebb and flow of daily tides, you know, there is, there is something so, um, pacifying, numbing not numbing these, all these words come with meanings that i'm not intended intended but lulling effect of daily routine and habit and all of that and that's how you sort of fall into tracks that that either are healthy and and you're you're getting something out of them or you, you get a couple of years down the line and you're like i don't think i'm where i want to be you know but that to some degree that routine is inevitable because we're just wired that way you know uh i imagine in hunter-gatherer days a sense of wanting routine and comfort and stability is something that is sort of built into us because without that there are bears and storms and you know uh horrible things like that but the thing about that that the forum was it, you started to to want that experience, bring that experience into your own life. Now, for me in those situations, I was 17, 16 years old. I spoke at the microphone a few times, talked about, I don't know, struggling with my mom and her new ageiness. Um, I've always kind of been decent on stage. Um, 
and I, I tended to tell stories uh, at the mic that made other people laugh. And for a lonely 16-year-old kid, it was an incredibly validating experience, connecting to other adults as though you were one of them, feeling like you could share any personal story with anyone in the room, and any of them would have given you their undivided attention. It was great, honestly. It was great. It was also one of my first exposures to philosophy. Um, there are elements of existentialism in the forum, uh, which today uh, is an integrated part of my life, uh, integrated part of the way that I view the world and how I make decisions. It was great. The problem, there were two um, problems with it. The first is that the way in which philosophy and psychology as schools of thought are different, uh, and that is they don't need to advertise they aren't businesses, but Landmark was. And built into the weekend, when all of these people were unpacking baggage that they had been carrying for years, um, built into the system that brought them to that point was also machinery to get those people to sell the weekend to other people in their lives. Um, you know, don't you feel good? Don't you want other people in your life to feel this good? And I think at the time, this was mid-90s, it cost uh, over $1,000 for the weekend, so it was, it was not a... It was a big ask. Um, and I think there's a certain amount of guilt that, that, that might go along with, hey, I feel great. Don't you want other people in your life to feel this great? Um, and the second issue with the forum is that life does not work the way it did in that weekend. Like I said, it was a bubble. Life is an ocean crashing over you, wave after wave after wave. Uh, you would come out of the weekend feeling like a different person, but the people in your life know you as who as the old you. You'd go back to your customer service job, and the customers don't give a shit. If you're no longer angry at your dad, they just want the, the damn iPod right now. Maybe you now understand the source of your anger issues and have apologized to people in, you've harmed. Uh, but then someone cuts you off in traffic, and the rage bubbles up again from the cauldron of your guts. Maybe you've stopped victim-blaming yourself for the assault. But you still shake when someone puts a hand on your shoulder. And what the hell do you do with that? Out and in the waves go, eroding this new you. So there was that fear of being carried out to sea, but also just one of the things you need to do when you remove old parts of your identity is you go through a process of redefining yourself. All right, if I'm not that screw-up, if I'm not the man who hated his parents, if I'm not an abuse victim, then who am I? And sometimes the new definition you land on is pretty close to the previous. Uh, sometimes it's radically different. But that process is an incredibly different one than the unpacking, than the removal, than the shift in perspective. The who am I now and where am I going and who do I want to be? And why do I want to be those things? There's so many questions uh, involved in doing that process in a healthy way. And none of that was in uh, uh, the forum. And there were a lot of us that didn't know how to do it. And were afraid 
of the eroding effects of daily life. So we started burying ourselves in landmark culture, volunteering at weekends, cold calling people for the company, taking um, further, more expensive courses, and all of the things, in all of the things that Landmark did, there was sprinkled that language because it was a business, uh, and its business was in bringing more people into the fold. Um, And that language was sort of like, what a bunch of powerful people we are who communicate clearly and we're up to things in life. And wouldn't it be great if you could bring more people into that? Don't you want the people that you love to feel powerful? Bring them in. If they don't come in, it's because they're blocked in their lives. They're blind. But we here are clear. We are really alive. Again, sprinkled. Um, and I slowly alienated friends, family. Um, progressively, things got to a point where the only good part of my life was landmark. It wasn't your, this wasn't your average cult in the sense of having a single charismatic leader who talked about the afterlife to a bunch of people living in communes. There were many forum leaders. Landmark had a group of them rotating around uh, the country. I imagine since the forum naturally bred attachment, you know, people have these emotional uh, transformative experiences and the person that brought them that is the one standing on stage. Um, So uh, it it probably made good sense in many ways, but that might've been one of the ways, uh, one of the reasons why they rotated. But as for the lack of, um, so we deified the forum leaders. There wasn't a specific person to deify, but among the my group of people who got sucked into that life, um, you know, we all sort of looked at the forum leaders as the one who had taken on this thing that made us feel so good, and and actually made it a part of their identity, and and had properly consumed all of the the things that there were, to, you know. They were the devout. Uh, they were the pastor. And uh, uh, that was the ambition was to understand ourselves in life as clearly as they could. Um, and as for the lack of the spiritual, there are churches for atheists as well. Um, I got sucked in because Landmark Me was the version of me that I felt like I had control and power over. And there was this community and system to sustain it with. Without it, under those daily crashing waves, I was always afraid of being pulled out. Now, many years later, uh, I was at one of those other bottoms I've talked about. We get a handful of them in a life, I'm sure. Uh, I was living in a city where I didn't know anyone, working from home, drinking every day, profoundly lonely. I've talked about this part of my life uh, a little bit in other videos. A year before, I had been engaged to a woman. Things ended, and um, during this time in my life, I would discover that I had been carrying on an old argument with her in my head for hours without noticing, and I would shake it off in frustration, and it would sneak back up on me again 20 minutes later. And without too much detail, things got bad. And sitting in therapy for the first time in my life, I asked the person across from me how the hell I was going to get better. And he said, well, with any behavior, 
you catch it. And then you put it down. And then when it happens again, you catch it. And then you put it down. And eventually, you'll go a day without it happening. And then a week. And then eventually, it won't happen a lot. Now, um, same things happen. Uh, this also applies to things you want to accomplish. You say you want to do something, you set a time, you sit down, you try. If it doesn't work, if you fail, you set a time, you sit down, and you try again, and then again. And then eventually, you'll have it done. Now, that's change. Change is like trying to train a cat to roll over on command. It's a slow painstaking process. And with ongoing therapy, I had a way of coming back to the table, regrouping, understanding what worked and what didn't, and trying again. I had a way of not getting pulled out. Now, I hate how apt sports analogies can be, but any basketball player occasionally gets dunked on, and then they take a timeout, talk to their coach, and come up with a different approach and a new play. And as I took what this guy said on... The evidence of the person I wanted to define myself as started appearing in the world around me, in the way people spoke to me and related to me, and in my own growing sense of peace, which was just something that wasn't there uh, before. Now, that is not something you can do in a weekend. Breakthroughs, shifts in perspective, uh, are an important part of the equation for being healthy, but they aren't change. Change occurs through action, repetition, over and over again. But that is not a sexy thing to put on a poster. Uh, it's not a way of getting butts in the seats. You know, uh, we are a we are a diet pill culture, and and as valuable as I, uh, you know, it was a. It was a very important experience for me personally, because honestly, I got into a long discussion on, well, not really a long discussion. Someone, I'm following Mayor Smith on Twitter, and she posted this thing about hope being an act of rebellion, and uh, I retweeted it, and someone asked, uh, do you have any advice for people who are, are kind of down on hope right now? And I, I put together a Twitter chain of, you know, my very, they're, they're all tactics, they're all tricks, uh, but who cares? That was another thing I said is never demean uh, your sources of hope. Um, but hope is important. And I, I think that's kind of what, that's kind of an aspect of what a breakthrough is and why a breakthrough is um, addictive is because when you're stuck in in despair or in a a particularly negative way of living or uh daily drive or whatever it, it, it's sometimes hard to picture another way of being to picture how things could be different to picture your life in a different way um and that's kind of what hope is 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 you know a, an image of, of a better world for yourself or the people around you, the people you love or your community or any of that. 
And that that comes with a breakthrough. You know, when you're locked on a specific perspective for too long, and that's the truth. And then your perspective shifts and you go, oh, maybe there are other ways. Um, and I think that's important. But it's also not change. Um, you know, uh, there's a step after that, which is, okay, I have been drinking too much. I want to quit drinking. Well, I need to tell everyone that I'm quitting. I need to distance myself from my uh trigger friends i need to you know there's there are for for any for any breakthrough uh what you do with that after is it requires a plan and a whole set of steps and and a willingness to endure coming up short and trying again and coming up short and trying again and that is again just not something that that was there and there wasn't really you know I, I don't necessarily blame Landmark for uh, anything in particular. The forum was a valuable experience for me, but it, it also sort of naturally, there were a lot of hangers on, like myself, um, who just didn't know another way, who, who couldn't be the people they wanted to be in their daily lives, but this was a place that let you say who you wanted to be. Um and then people, as part of their commitment, treated you that way, you know, and then asked for for uh, whatever it was. Anyway, I just thought it was interesting. And it was the, the, the second time that I had heard Werner Earhart's EST training, which they may not be allowed to actually say in uh, movies or television shows, but I, the, the, uh, the way that... <laughs> It's it's constantly denoted as that thing where they don't let you go to the bathroom. By the way, Landmark let you go to the bathroom. Uh, But it's just funny that it has persisted in history as as that. Uh, Whatever other people's experience were with Landmark, the corporatizing of the speak made the weekend efficient for everyone, but also ended up giving me a set of tools that only worked in that weekend or with other people... Uh, who had done the forum, the equivalent, uh, there's actually probably an equivalent um, just in my YouTube channel. When I say I need to go and get the rock, people that's shorthand for something that people who have watched enough of my videos understand and know what I'm talking about. You can obviously, it's a very powerful metaphor, Sisyphus, um, so you can obviously just get that in context. But the whole uh, idea of Camus and suicide, uh, leap of faith, or um, embracing absurdity is something that I, I, I hope that other people hear when I talk about that. And and uh, but who the that would all be lost on anyone who was listening to this who you know hadn't actually watched the videos. Um. Yeah, so it was a set of tools that only worked in that weekend or with other people who had done the forum. And I was just carrying so much self-hatred and resentment and fear in my daily life that without making myself a full-blown cult member, it was somewhat inevitable that all the effects just kind of died off. The uh, It was an unsustainable thing for me. You know, there's a reason why in... in uh, I can't remember what it is, but but when you're in AA, they say uh, you want to go to 30 meetings in 30 days. You know, I, I believe that's the number, and forgive me if I'm I'm getting that wrong. But there's a reason. 
you know, um, because that's how difficult change is. But it's not just um, getting rid of old or negative habits. Anything to, you know, the channel is that way. Me sitting down and writing, obviously, I'm struggling with again. Uh, struggle with every script, actually, now that I think about it. You know, it's habit repetition. Sit down, do it, try it again, try it again. We are cats learning to roll over. And a cat just doesn't want to do that. Cat wants to be a cat. But uh, living with intent and and choice and, you know, uh, so much of that baggage is, is just sort of the way the world told me I should interpret things and all of that. Being deliberate uh, uh, requires, you know, uh, a little more focus. And um, anyway, that's enough of that. Um, yeah, so... I don't know if that was informative or not, but that was a, a part of my life I haven't spoken about in, in quite a long time. And I, I, I felt like, I mean, I, I, I felt like it required proper context. And even if it's a diet cult, um, you know, so many of the lost friends and family during the time and just the, the weird, uh, the weird ways that that, that they kind of spoke about things just required a, a bit of an explanation. Strangely, the only other time that I've experienced that kind of thing since was when I was an employee at Apple. Uh, a lot of that culty structure was there, and I was drinking the Kool-Aid. Uh, you know, I grew up with Apple. I've only owned Apple products. PCs seemed ridiculous to me. And um, that was a that was a time when Steve Jobs had come back and and released the the uh, why can't I think of that? the iMac and then the iP I I started working there when the iPod was about a year old and then he released the iPhone and we in that culture uh, you know he was so much a figurehead and and there was there was. You were an Apple person, or you weren't. Oh, he's got a PC. Well, I guess we can hang out with him. Uh, it was. <laughs> uh, it's a different kind of life. I love Apple products. Uh, it's just more cost effective for me. I, I don't own an Apple thing, and it's more cost effective for me to to um, build a very powerful editing PC from scratch than it is to buy a, a Power Mac. That's a throwback. Um, but it, it, a lot of the symptoms, a lot of the characteristics were were there. I actually converted many of my family to Apple, um, if a little bit more healthy. I, you know, again, uh, Landmark was a, a a running, functioning business, and a lot of that stuff I think was just designed to keep the business uh, floating and sustained. It just had weird consequences for. You know, certain people were of a mindset that I was, uh, who who uh, became addicted to it to the point where it it was it was to their detriment. Anything can be turned into heroin. Um, you know, but but you you don't blame the blame the poppy. <laughs> All right. So this week I'm still working on Dear Boy. 
I'll share more with you about that when it's done, hopefully on Monday. But uh, once I miss the first deadline, I'm always loath to, to set the next one. Uh, it's going to get done when it gets done. I got some writing done before I started the podcast, which feels good. It's all it's very Oedipus. I hate Oedipus. Yes, I know. It's okay. I can say I hate Oedipus. That's okay. Um, yeah, and you know what's fun to spend some time writing about? Incest. That's fun. Anyway, um, hoping I have the script done today. Saturday is the Patreon. This coming Saturday is the Patreon Hangout discussion and stream. We'll be talking about Hero and Hush. Um, no new, no new skips. But again, until the you know by the end of the season, we'll be back to Buffy first, Angel second. But um, for a little while, they are inverted by virtue of the four episodes per show that we decided to skip. Uh, I'm switching the Twitch game streams, which have been a lot of fun, from Monday, Thursday to Tuesday, Thursday. Some Mondays it was just proving too difficult to get this podcast done by stream time. I'm currently playing Red Dead Redemption. I'm currently loving it. Uh, It's one of the prettiest games I've ever played. There's a tremendous atmosphere, unbelievable score, very addictive. Uh, Link to the Twitch channel in the show notes if you're into that thing. Um, Come hang out. Also, Saturday the 22nd, Jess and I will be doing our Bloody Valentine's Day Bad Decisions stream. We missed it last year, uh, but we're bringing it back. We'll be drinking wine, watching Tucker and Dale. I'll be doing a dramatic reading uh, from her online dating inbox and maybe some other fun stuff. Hope you join us. I also want to get... um, the trio or the fearsome foursome with uh audrey jack jess and myself rolling again um i kind of took i mean you guys know i uh, taking um taking a couple months off for weight loss which has been months off drinking for weight loss which has worked fabulously uh i'm even remembering stuff (laughs) Uh, also, it, it, I mean, in, within that context, it just seemed it, it, the, you know, the, uh, the, the bad decisions are, uh, you know, what I would politely call a drunken shit show and I like them that way. So, um, I had hoped that the Patreon hangouts and the, um, edit streams would kind of scratch that itch, but they're just very different. So, uh, I definitely want to get those rolling and proper again this year. Uh, oh, and I didn't make my uh, Instagram Adventures of the Nerd this Saturday because the town I picked was an eight and a half hour drive from here. I actually said if it's an eight hour drive, like Telluride, I'm gonna go. The town that I picked, Uper, Colorado, Uper, I can't remember the name of it, um, is actually ten minutes drive from Telluride, Colorado. And I looked at the map, and three roads in the mountains are currently closed, and there was a blizzard this weekend. So yeah. Uh, it didn't seem prudent to take my 98 Chevy Cavalier uh, up into the mountains uh, in a snowstorm for 10 hours, depending on the speed and the, the amount of snow, uh, to get that done. So I'm going to have to modify my selection process for these somehow so that I, at least in the wintertime, I only end up with eastern slope towns. We might do best of three. I'll think about it. And I don't know if it's necessary uh, for me to continue to do it on the podcast. I may shoot it as a little Instagram video the morning of 
which would be kind of fun actually waking up on a Saturday and, um, you know, picking the number at random and then going as opposed to, uh, building up to it through the week. Although, yeah, anyway, we don't need to talk about this. Uh, before I get into the fanfic reading, I just want to let you know I'm e- at Ian Nitram. That's Ian and my last name, Martin, spelled backwards on Twitter. YouTube.com slash Passion of the Nerd. If you'd like to support the channel and keep me flush with coffee and men's one-a-day tablets, you can do so at Patreon.com slash Passion of the Nerd. With the $5 and up club, you get to join the Hangout with me and um, eight other people this weekend to talk about Hero and Hush. You can also grab yourself something from passionofthenerd.com slash store. Did you break a mug recently? Do you need a new shirt? Don't give Target and Amazon your money. Jeff Bezos has many more Totino's pizzas in his fridge than I do. I'll bet he can even afford DiGiorno. I should actually add uh, Passion of the Nerd socks. I'm in need of some new socks myself. If you're an Amazon Prime member, uh, you may not realize, but you can support me for free by using your monthly Amazon Prime Twitch subscription. Uh, that's twitch.tv slash the Passion of the Nerd. I think I own Passion of the Nerd too, but I lost the login for that. Anyway, that's enough of that. All right, let's do some reading. Um, we are on Here Is Gone by Terry Bota. Last week's chapters are, well, the uh, previous chapters are linked in the uh, show notes. And um, when we get to chapter 10, again, I'm going to put out a uh, compilation so that you can just listen to chapters 1 through 10. Um without having to click back through all the videos. All right. Let me get the microphone in a comfortable position. Is this a joke? I'm not going to be threatened by two little girls, Tara's father argued. You don't want to mess with us, Dawn replied, holding her chin high. She's a hair puller, Buffy told, pointing at her sister. Giles stepped up, cleaning his glasses and raising his eyes to meet Mr. McClay's. Macaulay's? Oh, damn it, I needed to look up Sarah's last name. Uh, Sarah. Tara. Jeez. Maybe I'm not remembering stuff as well as I thought. And you're not just dealing with two little girls. You're dealing with all of us, Xander added. Before, Spike had denied caring, but this time he moved to stand by Willow and Tara, arms crossed, the threat in his posture clearly different. The others gave him shocked looks. What? He snapped defensively. I don't kill a Leoc demon for just anybody. You know, well, you know, well, actually, (laughs) but still, that's not the point. Well, will? You know, well, actually, but still not the point. He froze as Tara looked at him with open eyes and a fissure of fear ran up his spine. She knows. She knows I know about the spell and that she was the one that cast it. For a moment, he was certain that Tara was going to give him away. But then her father's ranting saved him. This is insane. You people have no right to interfere in Tara's affairs. We are her blood kin. Who the hell are you? We're family, Buffy answered, as they grouped around Willow and Tara, staring him down. Mr. McClay turned away, but Tara's brother 
Donnie protested. Dad, you're not going to let them. When he saw his father's expression, he started towards Tara. Tara, if you don't get in that car, I swear by God, I will beat you down. Xander puffed out his chest and refused to move out of the way. And I swear by your full and manly beard, you're going to break something trying. Spike saw the look in Donnie's eyes and didn't like it. Without a word, he moved to add his support to Xander. Pillock doesn't need to know I can't hit him. Donnie looked at the two of them and backed down. Well, I hope you'll all be happy hanging around with a disgusting demon, Tara's cousin Beth sneered. Anya raised her hand. Excuse me, what kind? Beth blinked. What? What kind of demon is she? There's a lot of different kinds. Some are very, very evil, while some have been considered to be useful members of society, Anya explained, giving Xander a loving look. Well, I don't... What does it matter? Beth replied, flustered. Evil is evil, Tara's father insisted. Well, let's just narrow it down, Anya pressed. And here's my cue, Spike mused. Don't give myself a chip headache for just anybody either. Oh, I get it, he said, approaching Tara. Here, why don't I make this simple? One migraine coming up, he cringed to himself as he popped Tara on the nose with a quick jab. The shock blinded him with pain, and he yowled as Tara yelped. Hey! Willow yelled, and then her eyes opened wide in understanding. Hey! He hit my nose, Tara cried, holding her injured face. And it hurt! I mean, him! Willow exclaimed excitedly. And that only works with humans, Buffy announced smugly. There's no demon in there, Spike said, shaking off the pain. That's just the family legend, am I right? Bit of spin to keep the ladies in line. Oh, you're a piece of work. I like you. I'm not a demon, Tara sobbed. You're not a demon, Willow affirmed, smiling. He hit my nose. Spike, his hand on his forehead, muttered, Yeah, well, you're welcome. His voice caught Tara's attention. She looked up at him with a mixture of confusion and awe in her face, and he once again got the impression that she was seeing right through him. It wasn't the first time he'd seen Tara since he'd been sent back, and he cursed himself for thinking he would be able to fool her. Even as she blinked at him, he saw the wheels turning behind her eyes and knew he had to do something to deflect attention from himself. Thankfully, Giles did it for him by addressing Tara's father. I'd say your business here is finished. Tara's father tried one more time. Tara, for 18 years your family has taken care of you and supported you. If you want to turn your back, Spike watched as a new expression of pride and self-confidence came across her face. And she stood up for the, to her father for the first time in her life. Dad, just go. There was a moment of tense silence, and then they obeyed sulking out, muttering about magic until the door closed behind them. Tara breathed a sigh of relief and turned to Willow. I'm so sorry, she apologized again. Willow hugged her. It's okay, baby. I understand why you did it. Spike saw Tara's eyes meet her his over Willow's shoulder, and she kept looking at him as she left her lover's embrace. Her gaze bore into him, and he was suddenly afraid. He knew if she revealed his secret, he would have to be cl he would ha he would have to have a clever lie ready to deny her claim. But the young woman surprised him with her empathy and understanding. Thank you, Spike, for what you did. I know it caused you pain. He blinked and looked away. 
Well, if I hadn't, then you would have left here thinking you were a demon, and I couldn't have that, could I? Bloody imposter you'd be. Give us real demons a bad name. Tara smiled at him and laughed softly, perished the thought, then more timidly held out an olive branch. We're headed to the bronze now. It's my birthday. Would you like to come? Her simple offer left him dumbstruck, and he fought the tears that welled in his eyes. He knew she could see the effect her invitation had on him, but she respected his privacy and didn't call attention to it. Still, it took him a moment to swallow the lump from his throat. She sees me. She really sees me. She's always seen me. It meant more to him than words could say, but he knew if he accepted, things were bound to go wrong. I'd love to, Pat, but I have other plans. Maybe some other time, though. She nodded and gave him another smile. Okay. They fell silent for several moments, none of them quite sure what to say. Spike was the first to speak. Well, I, I, I'd best be off. Give him on my best, Slayer. Tell her I'll be to see her soon. Good night, Spike, he heard Buffy say as he sauntered out with a swagger. The saunter was gone as soon as he was out of the shop, however replaced by slumping shoulders and a sigh of relief. Another thing changed. Another day gone. Buffy had died on May 22nd. Only 197 more days to go. Uh, do we do another chapter? Let's do another chapter. We're doing two chapters. Here we go. Chapter 9. Hold on. A little bit of a refreshing drink. All right. Chapter 9. Spike was alone. Harmony had taken to going out more and more as his obsession with his journal infringed upon his attentions to her. She resented his constant preoccupation, and nightly sex was doing little to placate her. Her absence was both welcome and irritating. At least when she was there, she was a willing partner and he could use her to reach the drop undead exhaustion he needed in order to go to sleep. But she would also demand his attention when he was busy, then get angry and would not stop what he was doing. When he would not stop what he was doing. What he was doing was grinding his teeth and pacing like a caged animal. Despite his efforts, he had been unsuccessful in convincing Buffy or Joyce to return to the hospital for a CAT scan. He knew that she would go soon when the results from the first barrage of tests came back, but it meant that he'd been throwing himself against that particular wall now for nearly three weeks. He was mentally and physically exhausted and frustrated, and even more convinced that he really was dead and in hell. It seemed that no matter what he tried, he could not effect a big change. Excuse me. And he was beginning to think that all his efforts were in vain. He was trapped. He couldn't tell Age. He couldn't tell Buffy and the Scoobies the truth. He couldn't kill Ben. He couldn't stop Glory from hunting for the key. He couldn't even get the woman one third his age to go to the bloody hospital. It had him seething, chomping out the bit like a high strung horse, and near to bursting with feelings of helplessness and rage. 
It was in this state that Buffy found him when she was when she came storming into his crypt and slammed him against the stone pillar. As his face hit the rough surface, he remembered all too well the last time she had done this and what she had wanted from him. He knew where this was going. She'd come to hear about the Slayers and planned to pay him for his story of how he defeated them. He'd been expecting her to show up, planning how he would do things differently, but her assault hurt him in more than one way. The new soul disliked pain, and his demon had never been terribly fond of it to begin with, so the unwarranted attack upset him. The fact that Buffy still felt it necessary to beat him up whenever she wanted anything from him was also a sore point. He had hoped, after three weeks of co cooperation and relative bloodless, painless interaction, that Buffy would ease up on her habit of kick the spike. But it would seem that Buffy had other ideas. He was starting to suspect that she, had already, she was already using him as her punching bag, an acceptable outlet for her anger and frustration, and that he had allowed it without ever really noticing what she was doing. I was just so happy that she was there, acknowledging me. Negative, negative attention was better than no attention, he realized as he ground his cheek into the stone and then turned him around. To what do I owe the bruises, Slayer? He said coolly, looking at her. Her eyes flashed anger and indignation, but no remorse, no acknowledgement of how abusive she was being. She doesn't see me as anything but a monster, an unfeeling, soulless monster. To her it doesn't matter if she hurts me, because I'm just a demon. The thought saddened him, and not merely because he now had a soul, but because he knew how misguided she and the Council of Watchers were, about the true nature of demons. Maybe I can use tonight's lesson to teach her more than just about the slayers I killed. Slayers! You killed two of them, she said, tightly. He feigned surprise and, and concern. I did? You're going to show me how. I am, am I? He countered. She punched him in the face and he yelled again, grabbing his nose. Yes, you are. He was bleeding, his soul crying, and he staunched the wound. I don't want to do this, but I have no choice. Tonight's the night she finds out about her mum going to the hospital for, finally, the bloody cat scan. Only three weeks late. All right, Slayer, you've convinced me. I knew you'd see it my way. Besides, there's cash in it for you. Joy, he replied without enthusiasm. Where do you want to begin? Not here. I don't want to be stuck in this place alone with you for any length of time. We'll go to the bronze. His hurting soul allowed the demon more slack on its tether as it reeled from the pain she had dealt. "'Afraid to be alone with me, eh, hey, pet?' he sneered. "'Don't make me break your jaw, Spike,' she threatened, turning to walk out. Spike followed, swallowing his pain and wounds, his eyes watching the back of her head. "'I love you. I love you, and you hurt me. I love you. I hate you. I love you.' He let her take him to the bronze and buy him American beer. Once again, she scowled at his attempt at civilized conversation and brought him back to the subject at hand. He again demanded wings as part of his payment. Just as I thought, he commented, drawing attention to her gasp of pain and reflexive holding of her injured side. So what na nasty piece... So what nasty got a piece of you? And is it dead yet? I'm fine. It's nothing. Riley's taking care of it. Soldier boy, really... "'What, you think Riley can't handle himself?' she demanded, defensive. He sat back, backpedaling a bit. "'I didn't say that.' 
It's just what with him not being super soldier anymore, you could make a man do things he normally wouldn't do. Make him take risks where he might not have before. She winced, and he knew he'd hit a, hurt, hit a nerve. Riley's fine. I'm just saying, and I know what it's like to have all your power and reason for being taken away from you overnight. Can make a weaker man do some stupid things, he explained reasonably, knowing she would realize he was questioning Riley's manhood. Have you always been this big a pain in the ass? He gave her an evil smirk. What can I tell you, baby? I've always been bad. All right. Uh, I've been wanting to do two. We had that very short chapter. Um, I think it was two weeks ago. That is it for me today. I just want to say thank you for spending your very valuable time with me. I realize for most of it, uh, it is in short supply. So I am grateful. Thank you. I'll see you in a week.